Feeling better? Looking better? Making life better? It's Life Tips. Life Tips. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show, everyone. Byron here. Pleasure to be with you, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Love the title of your book, Playing Scared. A history of memoir of stage fright. How could you? How could anybody be possibly interested in this concept of stage fright? Besides, basically everyone. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's part of the human condition, <laughs> and there are a lot of us in the closet. Exactly. What was your actual interest and in, in initial fascination with stage fright? Well, when I thought about it, it was really my own background. I could use myself as a window into a subject that clearly plagues a lot of people. And, 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 and tell us what's happening in the brain when, you know, the actual, uh, you know, what, what's happening with, with your adrenaline and, and, and why you might have blackouts and blockage of, of streams of consciousness. What's actually happening in there? Well, it's a real fight or flight me- uh, mechanism that's happening. So, you know, adrenaline is rushing into the system and it affects some people, I think, more than others. But essentially, it's the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain that lights up. And we don't know, at least physiologically, whether we're on the streets of Baghdad or in front of an audience of our friends and neighbors who really want the best for us. What fear do we really have, and is that fear the driver behind the stage fright itself? I think that it's so irrational when we stand up and talk. I mean, there's the sense that, you know, you're cast out of the herd, you're somehow standing apart from everyone else, and you're being judged and evaluated, and people will think you're stupid or unable to rise to the occasion, but it's really not a very rational thought. That certainly is how I experience it. Now, fear is a very human characteristic. We're probably never going to be able to eliminate fear from our, uh, from our, 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 our humanity, if you will. But tell us some, some thoughts from you on how to mitigate that fear when it comes to stage fright. I'm repeatedly asked what is the most effective thing that I did. And there were a host of things. But the most important thing was that I just did it, frankly. And that's called exposure therapy. So that I set myself the task of doing something that I had avoided for more than 30 years. How I did that was I would go and play in the airport in San Jose where there's a grand piano just outside the baggage claim area of the Southwest Terminal, and I would bring my my music and perform, you know, every other week or so. I would have people into my home and play for them. I, I performed in retirement homes, and I just forced myself to do it over and over again until it started to feel natural and even sometimes boring. Was it a positive experience in, in, that, in that experiment that helped you get over... The, the stage fright, are positive experiences as important as, you know, blocking off some of the bad feelings? Oh, it's the positive memories that you want to start to build. 
because I had so many disastrous memories from my childhood and my teens. And so what I wanted to do was create a kind of, you know, a different feedback loop so that at least in my tissues and in an unconscious way, I would, you know, as I approached the performance, I could, I could remember that the last one actually went quite well and that I would, I felt good about it. And so, yes, I mean, creating new memories for oneself, memories where you survive, memories where you realize it isn't, you know, your, your entire soul isn't, and, and survival isn't on the table, or in my case, the soundboard for everybody to pick at. Is there a pattern that you've seen in studying stage fright? For example, one bad experience that becomes a catalyst of disaster? Yes. And for instance, I spoke with an expert of um, periuresis, which is a shy bladder syndrome. And this guy, whose name is Steve Seufer, told me that he essentially could predict that anybody would develop a fear of going to the bathroom in, you know, in a public place if they had one bad experience, say, in childhood or teenage, you know, in their teenage years. And that's really the same thing for stage fright. I mean, one bad experience, an experience of being asked to speak in public and you stutter and you can't come up with the answer or you have an embarrassing, you know, um, time in a, in a class speaking, that can set you up for a lifetime of fear. Many people talk about that in remembering their own experiences, that it's triggered by one specific, you know, um, experience in their life. Strange question, but does the, does stage fright, does this weakness of having stage fright build strengths that we also develop to help us overcome the concept of stage fright? I'm not sure what you're asking. For example, a lot of people have stage fright. They're, they're not great public speakers, but they're fabulous writers. They can write public speeches. They can write speeches for everyone else. They can connect in strange and mysterious ways. Yet, if they had to perform this, the, 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 the speech itself, disaster. Well, that's true. I think a lot of people who be, you know, go into acting and really have a desire to act develop some kind of fear of performance and they find a way to fulfill their love of acting in the stage without going on stage themselves. So they become the designers, the directors, the, you know, they, they, they go backstage and you find a lot of that. Um, but it's, there's something I think a little tragic in it too because these are, you know, for all of us, we're people who are, Pursuing something that we really love and spending a lot of time and effort and practice into this um, activity, and then what we're we're not able to to take it to the next step, which is to perform it. You know, when you're afraid of something like spiders and snakes, it's very easy to you know there's no harm in not bringing them into your house and handling them, but if you're actually afraid of playing the piano in public and you're spending hours and hours practicing, it's sad that you can't, you know, when you can't do it, even if you're able to still appreciate music. How do you feel when you overcome stage fright? Well, like any time that you are able to overcome a fear, it's very liberating. 
so for me to have gone and played the piano at the San Jose airport and not be afraid of what people were thinking of me and not av- you know not being afraid of, of you know of being evaluated that was a very freeing experience you know it's a, it's a big um it's a monkey on your back <laughs> you know when 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 you realize that you've been running away from something all your life let's take a break and just back in in just a minute everyone Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Finding links to improve your rankings in the search engines is time-consuming and frustrating for many of us. The Hoth is the go-to company to help lighten your link-building load. Their white-label SEO was made specifically for agencies, in-house SEOs, and affiliates. The Hoth also offers high-quality custom local citation building to improve search rankings in Google's Maps and localized results, providing fulfillment for some of the largest SEO companies in the world. The Hoth offers link and citation building services you can trust. Get $20 in link building or citation building credits free by going to thehoth.com slash radio, T-H-E-H-O-T-H dot com slash radio. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis, SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back, Sarah. Really pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about some of the other diagnostic methods that you took a look at to help you overcome stage fright. Meditation, I know, was one of them. Yes, meditation became really helpful because it allowed me to focus and it taught me um, just the power of concentration. Not that I didn't have it in other areas of my life, but at the piano, it was all too easy to lose my focus. And that was something that I really tried to bridge and bring over from meditation. Yoga was very powerful because it allowed me to 
really think a lot about posture and freeing the tension in my body. You know, when musicians perform and become tense, one of the first things we do is we hunch our shoulders and we hold our breath. You know, you hold your breath on the inhale and you forget to actually let it out. And so bringing the teachings that I learned from yoga became just instrumental um, in in, um, performance. I also found beta blockers, you know, that ubiquitous drug that is prescribed in the millions, the hundreds of millions of doses for people with heart problems and hypertension. It has a very steady niche market for performers, all kinds of performers, certainly among musicians. There's the... um, estimate that up to 30% of symphony musicians regularly use beta blockers. But public speakers also use beta blockers, and what it does is it controls the adrenaline adrenaline flow so that you're actually able to extinguish the external symptoms of stage fright and then focus and bring your rational self to the table. Tell us about biofeedback and also any cognitive therapy that you experienced as well? Well, biofeedback, the kind of biofeedback that I toyed with was actually very useful because it worked on, it it allowed me to work on focus and concentration. So, for instance, there was a particular um, program, a computer program that was sent to me um, that, allowed me to tape on a kind of like iPad-like device and and see what was happening in my brain when I would practice and what kinds of, how many thoughts, you know, how much focus I was bringing to, to the piano. And that was very useful. In terms of cognitive behavior, I worked with a performance coach at the Juilliard School, um, and he was a sports psychologist or... Um, who had been trained as a musician, and I met with him once a week via Skype, and we would work on all kinds of activities to kind of still my brain and bring my, you know, like bring my courage to the, you know, to the forefront, and that was great. It's interesting to me that you would have chosen a career and profession around, say, playing piano, knowing that you had this stage fright within you. Do you find that ironic or perhaps part of the challenge of what might have attracted you to wanting to be a a pianist? Well, it was really chosen for me at a very young age, and I think that's true of most classical musicians. Children who start playing the piano or any instrument four, five, six years old, don't choose the instrument, don't decide that they want to become a violinist or a pianist themselves. A parent has to be incredibly involved in that activity and not only to take them to their lessons, but to sit and practice with them and demand that they practice and um, kind of hold their, you know, their fingers to the, to the keyboard. So it, you, you can't do it without a parent being incredibly involved. And, you know, a lot of times it becomes, you know, a, a pushy kind of relationship between, it, it's, it's a very challenging, experience, you know, relationship between parent and child because you don't know. I mean, you have to push them, but, it, you know, how much do you push them? So I didn't choose it. 
certainly. And it became clear to me fairly young in life that I wasn't, I didn't really have a career in music. But interestingly, I was able to bring the same kind of adrenaline rush that affects me when I play the piano. I can bring it to deadline writing when I'm sitting, you know, down and writing a story or a book. And do you, when you were, uh, when you self-diagnosed yourself with stage fright as a pianist when you were growing up, do you think that you wanted to not literally be as successful or play as well as you could have, fearing that you might get the call to perform or might win a competition and therefore move on to greater things? I mean, did it inhibit your ability to advance? Well, that's an interesting question because I didn't, entertain those ideas as a teenager. But when I went back to the piano many years later, I talked to a psychologist who suggested that my body was really protecting me in some way. I couldn't say no to my parents and refuse to play because that just didn't even occur to me. So my body was answering for me. And it made it impossible for me to, um, to, to actually get up and perform and compete. Now that you've mitigated or eliminated your stage fright, do you feel there's anything you could take on? You know, could you, could you, could you public speaking, for example, you know, um, you know, have you eliminated stage fright across the board from any performance that you need to offer professionally? You know, my... Phobia has always been piano-centric, mm-hmm. so that I can get up. I always have been able to get up and speak before a crowd of people, and I kind of enjoy that. I do get butterflies, and I welcome those butterflies because it means that I'm excited, that I do have adrenaline, and you need adrenaline for passion, and I rise to the occasion. But when I have played the piano, historically... I don't rise to the occasion, and I haven't been able to control my adrenaline. And so it was, my fear was so specific. And I think that's also something that, you know, it doesn't happen for everybody. Some people just have problems generally, but for me, it was very specific. And so once I was able to control that, I, it was, um, I didn't have a problem with the others. You had a very dramatic exit from your stage fright of actually renting a public hall. <laughs> um, could you tell the audience a little bit about that story and why you did it? And you also took a year to sort of overcome stage fright, culminating in this this uh, massive event. What, what, when did you decide to do that? And was that uh, you know was, was that a real life changer for you? And how the concert go? By the way. <laughs> Well, the concert went great, actually, and it wasn't just one concert, because I think I would have set myself up for disaster if there had been one. But Mm. yes, when I imagined this project, I realized immediately that it was a great idea, and that it would give me a lot of room to just explore. It was intellectually rich. I would be able to kind of stretch out as a writer. I would talk to fascinating people and kind of investigate something that even according to like, you know, all the research I did just hadn't been written about very much. There are self-help books 
about stage fright, but there really isn't any kind of memoir or, you know, people kind of shy away from this subject because it is so painful. And so I recognized that it was a great idea, but I also knew that I wanted to give myself a deadline because I am a journalist and I knew that if I set myself a goal and that it had a, a beginning and an end and that the end demanded something of me and it, it, that would speak to overcoming this you know, perennial problem, it would have some real weight. That terrified me. Um, and it emotionally just terrified me. And it was what kind of also gave the story and, gave, and the book its narrative tension. So, yeah, I was, um, I was inspired by it and terrified simultaneously. Hmm. And do you feel like you, in the process of, of the actual concert itself, it was a culmination of overcoming stage fright? Or do you still think that part of you has stage fright? You've just mitigated it in, in, in many ways. Oh, I think it's always there. You know, this is the kind of problem that, you know, if you don't plant your, your flag on the moon and declare that you've conquered it. So I haven't, it's not a one-time, you know, walk and walk away from the whole situation. Not at all. This is something that I really have to deal with every time I go into a performance situation on the piano for me. But, um, and sometimes, you know, I've, I've continued to perform um, in s- small ways since that big concert, and I will continue to do so, but every time I do, I will have to do the work. I'll have to center myself. I'll have to practice breathing. I'll have to probably take a, you know, a beta blocker. Um, and it's a very small dose. I now only take half um, a beta blocker, and that is almost um, maybe about five milligrams, which is a very tiny amount. Some people have actually suggested that it's so small as to be almost a placebo. But if that's what it is, I welcome it. What's next for you as far as books and your writing is concerned? Any other challenges you're taking on? Um, at this point, what I'm doing is, you know, I'm re- returning to magazine reporting, and I'm going to be doing that for a while and looking for, you know, book ideas. But I'm not sure, sure what they are right now. Well, there are plenty of problems in the world. I'm sure you'll find another great one like this <laughs> state, like this stage fright one. So Hopefully it won't be my problem. <clears throat> Two final questions for you. Who would you like to get a hold of you, and how can they get a hold of you? Oh, well, my website is an easy way to do that, and it's um, sarasolo.com. No H on Sarah. So S-A-R-A-S-O-L-O.com. And you'll find my contact information on there. Who do you like hearing from? Who would you like to talk with or communicate with via the website? I love hearing from people who've found ways to to deal with their stage fright, um, who have questions about it, who have their own thoughts and experiences. Um, you know, it is um, just so intrinsic to, to most of us that... Um, I've already heard from lots of people, and some of their stories are really poignant and um, sometimes challenging. 
Uh, there's one more question that I really wanted to hear from you. Um, mm-hmm. I just let me go backwards for a second. Do you think that stage fright can be a trigger from something else in your life, strangely enough, uh, <clears throat> that might inspire that fear for whatever it is you happen to be doing at that time, creating a bad experience? Is there a cross-pollination of fear that might carry from one thing to another? How do you mean? Um, maybe I was in a car accident, had a traumatic event in my life, and I therefore, and I was in the passenger seat, so I fear other people driving poorly. And but I play piano, and uh, and that same fear made its way into performing on a stage. I mean, I I don't know. I'm just trying to find correlation and whether fear can make its place from one place to another and find cross pollination in our lives, and whether you think stage fright well, fits with that. That's pretty interesting. I mean, of course, I've. I know people who've been in car accidents who develop the same kind of anxiety driving, especially in the, you know, and kind of repeating that experience for themselves, driving. They become phobic about driving, right? Um, I've never heard of anybody developing then some kind of other performance anxiety. Yeah, it was a wild card, but I thought, I wanted your thoughts on that. Um, Yeah, no, I, I, that, Nobody's ever mentioned that to me. Yeah. It, uh, well, that's not, that's not, that's typical for me <laughs> to ask, really? the bizarre, ask the bizarre oh, question. Oh. <laughs> you haven't experienced it yourself. <laughs> no, no. I was just curious. I, I, uh, <clears throat> one other question is, you, do, you, do you find yourself, uh, are there personalities or characteristics of people that have stage fright that draw them together for some reason? For example, of your crowd of friends, close friends you have, coincidentally, do they also have stage fright? Is it a, is it a, is it a genetic thing that would potentially unite people? That's interesting. I think that among the people I know who have stage fright, and I know many, um, they're not necessarily pianists, um, but a couple book authors I know have stage fright, people who are very successful authors, and they have a terrible time reading, you know, once their books are published. It's a, it's a great fear for them, or speaking in public at all. Mm-hmm. And one I know um, is fine reading to strangers but will not have his family there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be very specific like that. Um, I think that they tend to be people who require some, who, who like some solitude in their lives, who work, you know, kind of, um, you know, in their heads a lot, who are, you know, just people inclined to slow down, and maybe even perseverate. And one thing that's very interesting is that, you know, in sports, this problem, which is often called the yips, is most common in games like baseball and golf, which are games with long periods of time to just stop and think, right? It's known as paralysis by analysis. And You know, for instance, in golf, the yips are characterized by sudden jerks or tremors of the hand, but usually while putting, while people kind of stop their, when the action is stopped. And even in games like 
basketball or football and tennis, these problems develop when the action slows. You know, base basketball players choke at the free throw line, and in football it's the place kickers, and in tennis it's the serve. So mm-hmm. overthinking is the problem. Mm-hmm. And you know, you look at somebody like me or other writers who have a problem with speaking in public, and I think it's oftentimes overthinking. Really great, great, great to have you on the show, Sarah. Really enjoyed this. Thanks very much for being here today. Okay, thanks, Byron. Appreciate it. Until next week, everybody. I hope your life's all smarter, better, and faster, and wiser, and uh, and certainly less frightened to be on the stage. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.